Miracy. So if we judge it as bad, which the church does, anger is bad, pride is bad, lust is bad, suppress those, don't look at those. Well, all of that just gets stored up in our bodies and it's all repressed and we're walking around just suffering and we wonder why. Hello, I'm Katie Valentine and you're listening to Soul Savvy Business. I am a soul-minded spiritual entrepreneur, a Christian minister, and a New Testament scholar, but don't let that scare you. I support all paths to the divine, and I use tools such as chakras, dreams, and intuition to get there. On this podcast, we explore the intersection of business and spirituality. What do I mean by that? Too often, we separate our business selves from our spiritual selves, but in doing that, we don't leverage the full potential of either one. This series aims to help you fall in love with your own soul so that you can live your most fulfilling and successful life. On today's episode, I'm going to talk to a coach whose work centers around healing and spiritual transformation. But first... In every episode, I offer a tip around abundance and your spiritual journey. Today's tip is especially for those of you who may be coming from a toxic or maybe just a suspicious religious background. When you realize that you are coming from this background, there can be really intense feelings, including anger. When we emerge and awaken, anger is a natural and even healthy consequence of thinking about our past. But this is a strong emotion and can feel debilitating, but it can also be a source of strength and even abundance. Feeling the anger, but pushing it away or denying it will only work for a little while. It will work its way into your business, even if your business has nothing to do with spirituality on the surface. Does abundance really want to show up in a place with subtle anger that hasn't been addressed? Probably not. But finding a way to process your anger and to make it productive or even transformed will be highly beneficial. Not only do you get more peace of mind, but you also shift energy and you create more space in your own life and business. There are a zillion ways to do this, so figure out the one that is most suited to you. Therapeutic practices, martial arts, processing and art, or finding a spiritual leader that you admire and help the abundance flow into your own life. My guest today is Justin Tang. He is a self-described ex-evangelical, hypnotist, and pointer to the Christ within. After finding a path to his own healing, he became passionate about helping others with inner work and transformation. Justin and I have hung out with many of the same people and in many of the same circles, but we've never had the pleasure of actually talking to one another. So I am very delighted to welcome him to the show. Welcome to Soul Savvy Business, Justin. Thank you so much, Katie. I'm really excited to be here as well. Me too. Well, I'm just super curious. Did anything resonate with you in today's tip on abundance, where I was talking a bit about anger and processing anger? Yes. Yeah. This is something that I've worked through. You know, anger is, like you mentioned, a very powerful emotion, and we can redirect it. When we work through it, we actually go up in vibration into pride, into courage, into acceptance, into peace. 
Um, but like you were mentioning, like if you're pushing it aside, if you judge it, you think this is bad, it's unprocessed. I mean, that's absolutely not only going to wreak havoc in your business life because everything is connected. It's all energetics. There's some kind of uh, the same energy behind, you know, your business, your personal life, relationships, whatnot. But yeah, when we process this anger, then we actually raise inner vibration. We can redirect it. It's really just misdirected energy is what it is. Yeah. And, you know, when I think too about some of the experiences I had at camps when I was a youth at kind of what I now see were pretty manipulative religious tactics, it doesn't produce anger anymore, but it sure did, you know, 15 years ago or so. I'm curious if you've had you know, similar experiences. Yes. And, you know, I'm still working through a lot of things, as we all are. Yes. When I came out from Christianity, it felt like I was very angry against Christians. but. Yeah, there was definitely a, a phase where I was just like, I'm going to argue on Facebook <laughs> against every Christian. And then I realized, huh, I don't know. I think there's something deeper going there, some things to work through, and I don't have to do this. I can redirect it. Yeah. All right. And where you've redirected it is definitely topics that we're going to get to in, in your amazing work that you do now. So a question that we like to ask every guest is, what word or words do you currently use when referring to whatever it is that you consider the divine? Well, the divine is a great word for the divine. I tend to use Christ just because that's my background. Say Christ consciousness or just consciousness in general. I think it's all consciousness. So divine, consciousness, sometimes I use source. I'm not really picky. God as well. So these are, yeah, just some of the words that I use. Do any of them have kind of more special meaning than others for you? I am has a very special meaning. Ooh, that sounds provocative. Can you tell us more? Yeah, and this goes back to, you know, consciousness and that God is consciousness or divine is consciousness or we are consciousness. And we're all weirdly connected as one consciousness and yet individuals at the same time. It's a weird thing that I don't understand. Um, but I'm very influenced by Neville Goddard. He is just powerful, just an amazing mystic and writer. And he, he talks about I am a lot because you can say like, I'm looking at this computer or this mic, you know, I can say, I am not this mic or I am not this computer or I am not Katie. But what I can't say is I am not because the core of everything is simply I am. I'm aware of having some kind of subjective experience. And when we can get to that, that's where the transformation actually happens. That is amazing. Everything you said, I think we could unpack for about an hour. That all had so much richness in it. And it's also taking me, I'm putting on my, like, my biblical scholar hat here. The, the famous I am in scripture is, of course, in Exodus, when God reveals God's self to Moses. And Moses said, what should I call you? And God says, I am. I am that I am. And that verb, the way verb tenses work in Hebrew is very, very different than in English. So that same word can mean I was who I was, or I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. And what you said just reminds me of that, this I am, how much it can encompass. And I'm curious if thinking about it with the multiplicity of verb tenses works for you. Yes. I mean, at, at the core of it, it is I am. Like, I, the I doesn't change. It's like the whole Descartes thing, you know, I think, therefore I am. Well, the, the I stays the same. So it doesn't matter. I will be, I have been. The I stays the same. There's so much richness there, and I, I can imagine in a prayer or in communion or however it is that one well, that you speak to the divine, even just calling the, the divine I am, and brings you into that presence. Yes, yes, I can attest to that. 
Nice. Can you tell us just a little bit about your experience of religion or spirituality in your upbringing? Sure. Well, as we were just previous to this conversation, I mentioned I was in Dallas. And, you know, in Dallas, we love guns, steak, and Jesus. It's the belt buckle of the Bible belt. Um, There's three churches on every corner. Um, I don't think that's an exaggeration. They're really like, you just drive out, there's just churches everywhere. So it's a very conservative place. So I grew up with this notion of the Bible is the word of God. Jesus is the son of God. If you believe in him, you will go to heaven. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus. And of course, tied with that is, well, you got to follow what the word of God says. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, then you will live holy, righteous life. So you'll do the things that Jesus said. So I grew up in that and very Bible-centered, Jesus-centered religion. And, you know, I went to VBS, you know, vacation Bible study. Um, We did Awana, which is where you like memorize Bible verses as a kid and then You can recite them back and get rewards and things like that. So I did all of that. And, you know, looking back, there were some great things about religion, about Christianity. You know, I think it does teach some good moral values, right? Of course, like the central focus, hopefully, for Christianity is love. And how can we push away love as the central theme? So there's a lot of great things about Christianity, but also a lot of baggage. Of course, we're being told that we're sinners. So I grew up with this sense of guilt and shame, and of course, compound that with family, with our attachment issues. You know, we, we look to our mother and father as basically as God. They're taking care of us. And as children, we don't know any better. And so whatever they say, we internalize, or whatever they mirror or don't mirror, we internalize. And we don't know any better as children. We're just simply being led by our parents or being led by religion. So all that stuff gets internalized in our subconscious mind. There's a lot of People-pleasing, if you want to do the right things so that your church, so that God is going to approve of you, even though they're preaching grace and all these things, but the underlying kind of message, the foundation was like, yeah, but if you want to be in part of the in-group, if you want to be accepted here, you want to do the things that a Christian does. So there's a lot of that. Obviously, the fear of hell is a huge thing. So it was just, it was a mixed bag. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Well, and since you're a self-described ex-evangelical, that's implying you grew up in a pretty evangelical Christian setting. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Many Christian evangelical and fundamentalist churches emphasize a total reliance on the Bible and its interpretation by authorities. This is somewhat different than the way I practice my faith now, where I experience God as a co-creator with me who expects that I will develop my own wisdom and agency. Of course, it wasn't always this way, even in my own life. For many people growing up in evangelical environments, the devil is literally around every corner. Individuals need to watch out and get in line. This mindset is, as you can imagine, dependent on a particular view of hell and demons. Jesus becomes a way to avoid hell rather than a way to live a fulfilling and meaningful life now. Individuals often spend more time looking for potential evil than on the life of Jesus and justice. The reliance on others for interpretation of both the Bible and one's own personal practices can get really limiting. For instance, if someone meditates, they might be letting demons into themselves and putting themselves at risk for eternal hellfire and damnation. Instead, people are supposed to rely on the Bible, but most importantly, on other people's interpretation of the Bible 
for their eternal salvation. Many people, when they depart from evangelicalism, find that the Bible and God don't match what they were taught. So I got really curious about Justin's current practices and how they differ or align with his evangelical upbringing. Yeah, that's a great question. I think before I would have looked at meditation as something that's, you know, inherently demonic. But now, yeah, my, my spiritual practices, some of it has more or less remained the same. My understanding has changed. And so I have added meditation. I obviously have added, you know, self-hypnosis as a hypnotist. Um, I see that as something very spiritual, being in a trance state that's natural, that all of us can uh, enter into. But I would say um, working with, you know, chakras and even chanting. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. Um, not something that definitely an evangelical would not do, but chanting, something like going back to I am. You know, for me, that's, that's something very powerful and personal. And even just repeating I am, I am, I am. Like, I don't know what it does. Something changes. Um, so, yeah, I've added those things in. And, and now I look at prayer differently. So I still, I still um, pray in the traditional sense, but now that I'm very influenced by New Thought authors um, like Neville Goddard, you know, true prayer is simply being. It's entering into the wish fulfilled. Um, you know, Jesus said, if you have the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, be cast into the sea and it'll happen. And so that's prayer right there. It's entering into the desire of the wish fulfilled of truly feeling the naturalness of what you're praying for. I love that you brought up chanting because this has just come into my awareness, I would say in the past two weeks, that this is something for me to start doing. And I've only barely started doing it because I haven't really known too much how, like I watch other people do it. But I know certainly for me growing up, like chanting, that was something that like Catholics did. Right. Like not, you know, not sort of mainline or or evangelical Protestants. And so I think it's really fun to actually um, engage that sense. Yeah, just to, you know, spite some of that religious programming, too. That's always fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and even though I grew up going to Catholic school, it still felt a little, like, a little woo-woo, <laughs> even for me, <laughs> who does a lot of woo-woo stuff. So that's really fun. I love that synchronicity. Your work as a coach centers around healing and spiritual transformation, but it's also a business. And of course, you want it to be profitable. And that can be hard when your business is spiritually oriented. So I'm curious. Have your spiritual or religious beliefs ever influenced the way that you think or feel about money or abundance? Yes. You know, I'm definitely going to be vulnerable here. I'm still working on that, for sure. And part of the reason why I'm in this, because business is this personal development tool. And so I'm working through them as I'm doing this. You know, that's just a part of life. That's a part of business. So yes, absolutely. It's definitely felt hard. Um, But that's just the beginning, right? Like any new thing or anything that um, we've been heavily programmed for, like say we've been programmed for poverty or middle-class mindset, whatever. Yes, at first it's going to be super hard. You're going against the grain to reprogram yourself. But as you do that more and more consistently, reprogram yourself, focusing on what you want, telling yourself the new story. And of course that programming is going to come up, the resistance is going to come up which, you know, that's something that I love to work with. But like, we can do this ourselves. You know, technically don't need me or a coach or anyone. We can all do this ourselves. But as that comes up and we work through that, then it gets easier and easier and easier as time goes on. 
Justin uses the word programming in this episode quite often, so let me take a moment to define it. Programming is any coding that gets into our brains and creates a pattern. We might be programmed to believe, as we talked about earlier, in hell or that meditation is evil. You might receive programming that marriage is an expectation or that success only equals money. Most programming takes place unconsciously and in our very early years. But we can also reprogram our brains and souls for new realities. As entrepreneurs, this is something we're probably used to doing for ourselves quite often. Something that people coming from Christian backgrounds hear a lot is that money is the root of all evil and that wealthy people cannot get into heaven. But here is a quick fact for you. The correct translation is actually the love of money is the root of all evil, found in 1 Timothy right after telling enslaved people to be nice to their masters. So maybe we should take that advice with a little bit of a grain of salt. Is the caution against wealth and money using the Bible really just a form of programming? Justin is going to tell us more in just a minute. The interesting thing about these two beliefs or bits of programming is that they're actually at odds with the evangelical values that Justin grew up with. These values emphasize tithing and a lot of monetary spending on programs, worship, and buildings. I was curious if either of these two particular beliefs or programming had made their way into Justin's thinking. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's been a big one for sure. That like spiritual people can't be rich. What did Jesus say? It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. That's a pretty popular one. Yeah, absolutely. We can work through this same programming the way that we work through everything. You just have to recognize as the awareness, as the I am, that this is going on. And then if we separate from this, we can see it for what it is and we can love and accept it. And that's where the cool stuff happens. It begins to dissolve, you know, our relationship to it really, it changes. Yeah, but that's definitely something that's come up for me. I know you're not alone there. And certainly those are kind of refrains that I think play in a loop for a lot of people. So listeners, if you are among those, you're not alone. But we're definitely going to talk about the transformation process because this is what Justin does. This is what Justin helps people with. So Justin, tell us a little bit about your business, what you do, and how you got started. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you know, my background is in Christianity, and I love that. I loved Jesus. I loved God. Like, that was my entire life. And so I've always been very spiritually minded. I've always wanted to go into some kind of, like, motivational thing, inspirational, kind of spiritually minded career or purpose. So that was always there. I actually used to be um, a lay minister for a couple of years, and my heart's always been the same. Like, I wanted people to become closer to God. That's why I was in ministry. And so that hasn't changed. It's now just shifted towards what I think is much more healthy and transformational, knowing what I know now about spirituality and psychology. And so what I help people do is really remove the inner blocks that are maybe keeping them from having the life that they know they deserve or can have. Because I used to suffer. So I remember when I was dealing with a lot of depression and I knew all this stuff. I knew all like the right Sunday school answers. I knew the right personal development answers. And I'd read some books. I've gone to the workshops, you know, but like things weren't clicking for me because I was still in this haze of depression. I hadn't really looked at a lot of my demons. I hadn't really felt the pain that I was still holding on to. So for me, I needed somebody to hold my hand, which I'm so glad I, f- I found somebody, a coach, 
who held my hand metaphorically. And he helped me through all of these unconscious blocks. And it was painful. It wasn't easy at all. But as he did that, I started to raise my vibration, so to speak. I went up the emotional scale and I started to actually feel love. It was crazy. The love that I would feel from, quote unquote, the Holy Spirit. It was like, oh, wait, we can, this is inherent in all of us. Like, I don't need a Christian to guide me through this. He was a non-Christian coach. And yet I was feeling these bliss experiences. He was taking me through that. And that was because we were doing the inner work. And then I started to notice I'm, I'm taking more action. I'm going in alignment with who I am. I wanted to help people the way that he helped me. So that's kind of how I got into coaching and hypnosis. Yeah. And I love that your description of kind of going up the emotional scale. Yes. Yeah. And so I imagine anger is kind of one of those lower vibration emotions. And it's a powerful one, but it's not bad. It's not like it's bad to have anger. It's just destructive if it stays there and gets locked into us, right? Exactly. When we're pushing it away. So if we judge it as bad, which the church does, anger is bad, pride is bad, lust is bad. Suppress those. Don't look at those. Well, all of that just gets stored up in our bodies and it's all repressed. And we're walking around, you know, just suffering. And we wonder why. Because we judge those things. So anger is not something that's bad. It's a human thing to be angry. Absolutely human. So tell us what happens. Someone, someone contacts you and you take them on as a client. What do you do? Like, what, is, what do you do as a hypnotist and as a coach? What's, what's your work specifically? Yeah, so I guess it just depends on what the client is looking for. So my first question, really, um, every coaching session looks a little different. And what's interesting is I don't have to use traditional hypnosis. I can if I want to. I think it's super powerful. I love it. But the crazy thing is, whatever problem we have is rooted in the unconscious mind. So the fact that we're, you know, we're talking about a specific issue, a client has to retrieve that information from the unconscious mind. So really, I would just ask them, like, what is the problem? What do you want? And from there, all change work is really kind of the same. Um, we associate into the problem. So we find what the actual problem is. Number two is we disassociate from the problem. The third thing is we gather some kind of resource state. And I believe that every single person has a resource state. Like I don't, I don't do like quote unquote mentorship or I don't tell people what to do generally speaking because I believe that as my description says, you know, I'm a pointer to the Christ within. They have their own resource state. Any suggestion as a hypnotist that I can come up with would never ever be as powerful as the suggestion that the client could come up with. So. Once we build that resource state, we can copy and paste that into the problem. And then, you know, you start to reorient yourself, reprogram. And then you just, you just do that over and over. Um, so that's the basic structure, but it looks different per person in every session. So define a few terms for us, words like change work and psycho-spiritual healing. What do those mean? Sure. The way that I sh uh, see change work is being able to change your behavior. So maybe we're not like getting into some real deep pain, but like with, with NLP and hypno NLP is like neuro-linguistic programming. It's based on hypnosis. It's just a model of how the mind works and how we can change. And so I might use some like NLP techniques or some hypnosis, and that would simply just, you know, we can go for the symptom and we can start changing things. Um, with psycho-spiritual healing, what I mean by that is really coming back home to the core of who you are. You know, this... I am, but it's not just the ethereal, I'm just the awareness, just observing, but 
who is that personalized I am? I guess you could say like soul calling or purpose of like your unique individuality that you were here on earth to express and to manifest. And so my work is to kind of clean up the programming so we can return back home. That's amazing. And that resonates so much with some of the work I do with my clients and helping Christians incorporate metaphysics into their faith journey. I don't have the skill set of hypnosis or of these kind of techniques, but the process and the end result sounds so, so much the same and so resonant. So I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing out there with all this integrity um, in the world. Yes. And you know what? We're probably doing pretty much the same thing. There's so many roads that lead to Rome in this change work or psycho-spiritual healing. All the principles are the same. So it's beautiful. You know, you can't go wrong. So Justin, what would you say your biggest challenge has been in becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah, so there's definitely been a lot lot of limiting beliefs. And so I've tied my self-worth to business and career because that's a lot of programming there. You might not know I'm Asian. Asian culture and Asian parents, they'll put career and finances very high category, right? There's a lot of pressure there to conform to a specific path. So yeah, definitely had to overcome a lot of those limiting beliefs and uh, especially the limiting belief of I have to do the nine to five grind. And what made you step out of the nine to five grind and into this entrepreneurial mindset? Yeah, that's, you know, as a coach, I have a coach and he's been working with me. He's been helping me and pushing my boundaries. You know, this is something that I've always really wanted to do. And so he encouraged me to go full time with this because I've been getting results. I've been getting clients. And so with the encouragement of a coach and really seeing, you know, what is true for me and that's going to inflame the programming and it inflames my programming. Like everything in me is like, no, this can't be right. I can't do this. You know, like I'm going to fail. I'm going to, you know, whatever, whatever the programming is saying, the need for control, all these things. But, you know, when you do what's true for you. Behind all of that, there is this inner knowing and this peace. Well, I'm curious too, because I think pretty much every entrepreneur that's walked the face of the earth is going to resonate with having old programming, old beliefs that have interfered with their, that have been a challenge for them in their entrepreneurship. So did you resolve this through your own tools and techniques or were there other things that came into play for you? So I'm always learning. I'm always growing. Every technique works. You know, you just got to find what what works for you. So for me, it's going back to the basics of how do we change? So I just sit there and be like, all right, what is the story that I'm telling myself? And then there's a feeling associated with it somewhere in the body. Um, I sit there. I allow myself to feel whatever comes up. Whatever needs to come up will come up. And I disassociate from that as best as I can. And I send love and I send acceptance and I try to understand this part of me. So as I did that more and more, again, I came back home. I was able to allow that programming to run its course. And you realize, oh, this thing doesn't have any power on me. Justin talked a lot about his spiritual journey and how it required so much deconstruction of previously held beliefs. Deconstruction is literally the work of taking apart, or deconstructing, beliefs that you might have grown up with, such as a belief that meditation is inherently evil. 
Since deconstruction is really at the core of Justin's business, and he has a lot of personal experience, I was interested in getting his take on deconstruction. I would say in Christianity, but I mean, it can be with any religion or you can more broadly say that we're, we're always deconstructing something. Deconstruction is really taking a look at our core beliefs and challenging them. We're putting these on the shelf and just saying, okay, is this belief really true? Is this belief serving me in some way? And really being able to challenge them. And sometimes that means you discard it. And so let's give an example. So one, like one belief that someone may deconstruct if they're coming from an evangelical background could be such as a belief in hell. Sure. And so the deconstruction process might take someone into areas where they're asking questions like, well, who taught me that? Is what I was taught um, an actual belief that I have? What are alternative beliefs? And you come up with a new belief. And it's a painful, painful process. Any deconstructed Christian will definitely tell you that. I mean, for most people, some people, they come out of deconstruction like, I've never felt better in my life. But generally speaking, in my personal experience as well, it's been very, very painful because our identity has been tied to this belief. You know, it's not, it's not just we're deconstructing some random thought, but this is like deconstructing our our very selves, our very identity of the core of who we thought we were. So that's always very, very painful. This can be a painful but rewarding process for anyone coming from a fundamentalist background of any religion who is beginning to ask new questions. Within Christianity, there are entire deconstruction communities who co-journey together. There's no set pathway for people when they deconstruct. Some emerge into new belief patterns within their tradition, like I did. Others may deconstruct and become agnostic or atheist. I personally love to assist people who are deconstructing their old religious beliefs to develop their own new programming of their choice about energy, metaphysics, and their soul journey without having to abandon their relationship with Christ. So tell us a little bit about what does it mean to you to be in alignment spiritually, and how important is that to you? You know, to be in alignment spiritually is to be true to who I am, to live authentically. And that's everything. You know, this business is an extension of who I am. And I love what I do. It guides everything. It guides my business and it guides, you know, my relationships. Because that's the core of, you know, the core of who we are will get reflected out. I've been at a nine to five job that sucked the life out of me. And I felt like I had to be there because well, shoot, this is what everyone does. Where else am I going to get money? I need that safety and security. And so that definitely impacted me and how I viewed life. I was just like, oh, this is kind of a drag. When we don't do what's true, that can be very, very difficult um, to really operate. And so that's a lesson I'm learning. I wasn't staying true to me. It just felt like when I wasn't staying true to me that I was dying on the inside. That's how I would word it. I know a ton of people will really resonate with that. And I'm curious as well, if you've experienced any of this once you left your nine to five, have you had any experiences of misalignments, maybe not quite as dramatic uh, while you've been in your coaching business, or is it all like smooth sailing for you? Oh yeah. It's all been smooth sailing. Yay. Tell us the secret. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, even coming on, on this podcast, right. And putting yourself out there, like I respect every entrepreneur 
Like this is, it's not always easy. So even coming onto this podcast, that's going to inflame that programming. So there's a difference between stepping into tension because it's actually true for us to do. And it's going to be scary. It's going, there's going to be challenges. Absolutely. There's going to be programming that comes up, but you're still in alignment. We didn't come here on this earth to float on clouds and, you know, everything's fine. As we engage in business, as we grow, as we overcome challenges, we evolve. We become who we're meant to be. It's like our own God field is actually orchestrating these things for our soul evolution, if you want to call it that, um, for our spiritual growth. Can you just say that last line again? Because I think that was, that was some golden wisdom right there. Our own God field? Yeah, yeah. That's not original. Shout out to Kevin Allen Stansberry. He's been helping me. Yeah, our own God field, you know, the I am, that personalized I am, is orchestrating these things, you know, these challenges for our soul's evolution. We weren't meant here to just, again, like float on clouds and nothing's ever wrong. You know, life is just dandy. We were meant to overcome some things and grow and learn. How empowering is that for, for all entrepreneurs who are listening to this? Because we all go through struggles. We all go through times where we're experiencing worry, we're not in the flow of abundance. But if we could reorganize that into this thought that, oh, maybe this is just an experience I'm to go through and surrender into that flow so that we can get to the other side and see whatever the lessons are, we can see our, our, our new potential growth that might not be as possible without these you know, times of hardships. So before we wrap up, Justin, do you have any advice you'd like to share with our listeners? I would say like this shit isn't easy. You know, entrepreneurship, business, there's definitely challenges. And when we come home and when we're pushing our edges continually, that's just like, I have so much respect for people who do that. And I guess my best advice is to keep going. And if you're listening to this, I mean, shoot, mad respect. Keep going. I love it. Perfect. That was amazing, Justin. Thank you so much for being here. What is the best way for people to find you? Yes, you can go on my website, redeemyourreality.com, or I'm very active on Facebook. You can find me on my Facebook handle, justin.trance.tang, or you can reach me at redeemyourreality at gmail.com. Perfect. I'm Katie Valentine, and you've been listening to Soul Savvy Business. Soul Savvy Business is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Just Between Coaches and Once Upon a Business. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. I wrote this episode with Melissa Deal and Cynthia. Melissa assembled the episode, Danny Eaney is our executive producer, and post-production was by Post Office Sound. To make sure you don't miss great episodes coming up on Soul Savvy Business, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please give us a starred review. It is the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thanks. We'll see you next time.